Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. This reading comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They left the place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Good to see you all here and to see you all out watching from home. Um, this morning we prayed that, um, thank God for ducted heating. Um, so it's nice to be in a warm place and, uh, I think I'd rather, <coughs> oh, excuse me. I think I'd rather be sitting at home with my feet up and I'm watching it on TV next to my wife who's sitting at home. But here I am today. So our message today is about who is the greatest and, um, you know, throughout history, uh, there's a lot of people that would be deemed to be great in the world. But I wanted to look at a couple of people this morning and our first person, I have to click on this. So remind me to click, all right, because I'm a bloke and I can't do more than one thing at a time. And Ian's got lots of good practice at that. Cool. So the first bloke we're looking at is Genghis Khan. Um, and you may have read about him or learned about him at school. But in the 13th century, Genghis Khan conquered two-thirds of the known world. His uh, empire uh, stretched from Eastern Europe as far as Korea, uh, which is a long way. He was considered a great warrior and a great military leader. Uh, 33 years after his death, I think he was a great lover as well of women, and he was uh, credited with over 20,000 descendants. And today, uh, researchers believe that 8% of people living in that former area are his descendants. So uh, he's certainly left his mark on the world. We've got three kids. 20,000 might be a long way to go. Next person... Uh, so Genghis Khan is considered throughout history to be one of these great people that we read about. The next person that we look at is Muhammad Ali. Now, he was born in 1942 in Louisville, Kentucky, and he took up boxing at the age of 12 years of age. In uh, the Tokyo, so the Rome Olympics in 1960, he won a gold medal. Uh, as a amateur boxer in the 175 pound division. And he um, converted to Islam and he changed his name uh, from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. 
He became a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War uh, and didn't want to go, um, but they considered him not to be a conscientious objector because if it was a holy war, he would have fought for Islam. So he was sentenced to five years in jail, but he never served that because he was uh, later received the presidential pardon. He was the first fighter to win the World Heavyweight Championship on three occasions, and he defeated his title on 19 of these occasions. His win-loss ratio is 56 wins, five losses, and 37 knockouts. Now, not only was he famous in the ring, but he had some noticeable sayings, and uh, I was quite amazed by some of the sayings that he had. He says, uh, service to others is the rent that you pay for your room here on earth. I thought, what a great saying that is. Uh, he says, don't count the days, make the count, days count. So don't count the days, make the days count. He liked to stir up his opponents. He would give um, poems in the press conferences. So one of his... Uh, press conferences that he gave in his uh, bouts before George Foreman. He says, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes don't see. Now you see me, now you don't. George thinks he will, but I know he won't. So he'd love to stir these guys up. But then he went on, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. And he also, uh, one of his favourite sayings is, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. So he had a good sense of humour. And so in his own mind, he was the greatest boxer uh, in the world at that time. So in these two examples, we see that uh, the people are considered to be great, some by themselves, as in Muhammad Ali, and some by others or historians uh, in their achievements in shaping history, as in uh, what Genghis Khan has done. Mankind throughout history are considered to be status seekers. Uh, we build hierarchies and we seek status within them as they are just, just about in every organisation, and I've just spilt my drink, uh, every organisation uh, or work structure. If you look at um, the government, there's hierarchies. Defence, there's certainly hierarchies. The church, there's hierarchies. Um, I like reading old day sailing novels, and I know Rachel does as well, because she put me on to some of these. And it's Alexander Kent and Patrick O'Brien, and they write about the, um, the 1700s sailing days and the Napoleonic Wars and uh, all that sort of stuff. And you notice within the English um, Navy at the time, that there were the officers who come from the gentleman class or those with status, and there was the other class. So there's only really two class systems within the defence forces at those times. So the Navy were the rulers, or the officers were the rulers, and if you were an ordinary seaman, um, and you did something wrong, you're flogged with a cat of nine tails for just answering back. Um, but not so much with officers. They didn't cop any of that. If you were 
A seaman, you died, you're thrown over the board. If you're an officer, you might get a few more. Um, but you would be remembered. So they had these two classes and it really wasn't fair. Imagine if that was in the world today, having these two classes of system. You know, scientists are discovering that status seeking is not just a habit or a cultural tradition. Rather, it comes from a biological drive rooted in the nervous system, regulated by hormones and brain chemicals. Thanks, Terry. I'll try not to spill this one. I'll put it over here. And I'll move over here. So um, males, believe it or not, probably doesn't come as a great surprise to you that males are more likely to pursue status than women. But it's not only limited to the human race, but also in the animal uh, kingdom as well, or insects. It happens in crickets, happens in um, crayfish, elephants, and chimpanzees. So all the males try to dominate and rule um, what happens there. Uh, according to Thomas Carlyle, Carlyle uh, there's the great man theory of the 19th century idea which says history is largely explained by the impact of good men. So if you look through out history, whoever bought or had your parents buy a, uh, the Britannica encyclopedia that sat collecting dust in their bookcases, and a lot of that shows the history of the world, but it's always about what men have achieved, right? So, you know, Cherie makes great jam, but you won't see Cherie in the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Buck Cobb is a great cook, and you won't see him in the Britannica. And you won't see these kind of people be going down in history, but you'll see Genghis Khan, you'll see Muhammad Ali, you'll see... Um, George Bush and Donald Trump, you know, for, for good or for worse. So these people uh, have a great influence. You know, to be uh, great, you have to be like a hero, highly influential, with superior intellect, heroic courage, extraordinary leadership abilities, and divine inspiration. But you know, no matter how great people think that they are, or how great other people think that they of them. You're nothing without God. And in Romans 11, verse 36, it says, everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. So God created the world. So there's nothing before that for us. He created us and everything will go back to him when he comes back again and calls us to himself. God has allowed it to happen. He's the creator and he can take it back whenever he wants. He can take our lives whenever he wants. Our lives are a gift from God. In Mark, we see... Uh, oh, sorry. Mark just a lead up to our reading today, we see that Jesus has healed um, the deaf man 
in the vicinity of Tyne. He's travelled through from Tyne in north Israel up into uh, Sidon and he's done this big circuit and come around through the Sea of Galilee. So he heals the man in Mark chapter 7, 31. He heals the deaf and mute man. He's travelled through Caesarea Philippi uh, where he's fed the crowd of 4,000. Uh, he crosses over the Sea of Galilee, gets confronted by the Pharisees, and then he goes back to Bethsaida and he heals the blind man in Mark 8, 26. He goes up to the Mount Transfiguration at Mount uh, and gets transfigured uh, and the three disciples, Peter, James and John, are witness to this. And then later on in verse 9, he heals the boy with the evil spirit. He discusses with his disciples that he's going to be betrayed and that he'll rise again um, after three days. And in researching and, and pondering some of these things, it hit me for the first time that whenever Jesus talks of his death, he just doesn't leave it there. He also talks of his resurrection. He completes the story. It doesn't end with his death. It goes on. So then we come to Capernaum in Mark chapter 9. So we see that the disciples are arguing amongst themselves and they enter the house, which is possibly uh, where Simon and Andrew, um, whose house it is. Jesus started his ministry in Capernaum when he first left Galilee and it looks like he's finishing by going back through Capernaum and he seemed to like that area. So we don't know how long the journey was, uh, but they were arguing. And there's a little bit of a, just to sound like they were arguing, it doesn't really add much to the story, I think. It kind of cuts it off, but there's a little bit of a video. Uh, it's like some stick figures and some balloon stuff. So just have a quick look at that. Thanks. As the disciples were walking along the road, they started to chat. Peter said, Jesus said that I am the rock of his church. I'm going to have a pretty special role to play when his kingdom comes. James and John said, you are simply a foundation to be built upon. We are men of influence and leadership. Jesus will need our connections when his kingdom is established. But Matthew jumped in. And he said, Jesus said that the last will be first. I'm a reformed tax collector because Jesus called me and saved me. But Simon rebutted, if that's the case, I'm more special because I was a zealot. The zealots rioted and murdered people for their cause. Clearly, I have been helped the most by Jesus. And then Judas spoke up. And he pointed out that he has been entrusted with the money. Surely that kind of trust means something. And one by one, the disciples argued back and forth about who would be the most important person in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus walks up to them and asks them. Okay. Thanks for that. So you see there that they're all arguing um, about who is the greatest. Um, but it's not the first time that they did that. 
uh, you will read also in Matthew 20, 23, uh, it tells us of the mother's request for Mark and John to be seated on the left and to the right of Jesus in his kingdom. So the disciples, they became indignant and angry and annoyed uh, that that might happen. The disciples believed that Jesus was going to be crowned king of the Jews and that his kingdom was going to be established on earth and they were trying to work out where they would fit into that new world order. Rank and status at the time was very important in the Jewish world. The Romans were in the area and they ruled everything. There were the scribes who were the authoritative group of the Jewish law, the Sadducees, who were the priests, Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, uh, the Pharisees, strict adherents of the law. The Essenes believed that God was going to be coming in a catastrophic event. And then there were the Zealots who believed that violence was the way and they were very argumentative. But Jesus, he knew what they were arguing because Jesus knows everything. And God knows everything. In Psalm 139, 1 to 6, we read, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and you know when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there, and up ahead you're there too. Your reassuring presence is coming and coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in, and that's from the message. And I should have clicked. I told you I can't do more than one thing at a time. Jesus doesn't criticise or condemn the disciples in their actions. Rather, he calls them to him. He sits down, as teachers did at the time, and he um, teaches them how God sees greatness and how it's different from the way that mankind sees greatness. In the story of the Good Samaritan, in Luke 25 to 37, we read of the man who's been beaten by the robbers and left to die. A priest walks past and crosses to the other side because he doesn't want to help the male. A, a Levite came and he also did the same thing. But then the Samaritan not only took pity, he dressed his wounds, he took the injured man to the inn to take care of him, and then to top it off he went that extra distance and he paid for the man's recovery and offered to come back and paid for any more expenses. In Mark 9, 35, it says, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. In John uh, 13, 4 to 5, we see the story of the last meal and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus teaches here that the kingdom of God 
the great ones who choose to put others before themselves. It's about accepting people as they are, where they are, no matter their circumstances. There's a mission of all in Christ to serve, to love thy neighbour, sharing the love of God to the lost. In Matthew 20, uh, 25 to 28, Jesus called them together saying, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus leads by example, telling us of his reason for being on earth, healing of the deaf and mute male, healing of the blind, meeting the needs of others, washing his disciples' feet. Who among you would wash go over and wash your neighbour's feet, let alone mow your neighbour's lawn. Or, you know, some might offer to cook a meal or look after their kids or whatever. But who goes beyond the boundary of their house? We all have fences around our houses to keep us all in because we don't want to go out into the world. I don't know why this has happened. When I was um, a boy growing up in Broadmeadows, There'd be 20 kids playing footy out in the street. But these days, we get home and we shut our gates, we shut our doors and we lock ourselves inside and isolate ourselves from the world today. I don't know where that change has come from, whether we're just too scared to let our kids be out from fear of what might happen uh, or be out there with our kids, you know. But the times are changing. So in verse 36, Jesus picks up a little child. He tells the disciples that whoever welcomes a little child in his name welcomes not only Jesus, but God. So, open to you guys. Why do you think Jesus uses a child as an illustration? Anybody? Sorry? They're uncomplicated. Yep. Good answer. Innocent. 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 Yep. <coughs> Sorry? Yep. Thank you very much. Eager to, easy. Eager to please? Yeah, and they're easy to please too, aren't they? So <laughs> they don't have a lot of stand, high standards, children. You know, if they want a lolly, you give them a lolly and give mean, the lolly you've taken out of your mouth sometimes, but <laughs> as long as it's your kid, they'll take anything from you. Yeah. So children, young children, they don't know what they want and they don't know what they don't want. Um, they need help and constant attention. There's no barriers that they set for themselves. You know, they will jump on their BMX bikes and do these crazy jumps and almost kill themselves, but... Yeah, they're having fun. They don't know limitations. They're open books. And Jesus uses the child to illustrate to us that we need to be willing to be servants of all people. Drug addicts, 
alcoholics, rude and obnoxious neighbours, even Christians are irritators. All right, I know I can be in that crowd sometimes. Um, and there's so many children in the world and there's so many people that need to hear the love of God and be shown the love of God. In Galatians 3.26 tells us that for all, you're all sons of God and when you put, when, when you put your faith in Christ. And Ian reminded us last week in Matthew 10, there's our children, so we've got to keep up. In Matthew 10, that even the hairs of your head are numbered and you're all worth more than the sparrows. In verse 37, Jesus teaches the disciples that we reach out to others in love and become servants to others. We're doing God's work. And it is not to benefit ourselves, but rather to benefit the kingdom of God. If praise or thanks is given to you for doing something great, why not say something like, yeah, thanks, but, you know, it's God that showed me how to help you. You know, we shouldn't take the credit that belongs to God. And uh, a couple of years ago, I arrived at work and I just walked into the office and somebody had their dog stolen in... Um, South Melbourne, and the dog was picked up in Glenroy. And so I'd walked in, the dog was handed in at the police station, and the sergeant, uh, the people owning the dog had come to collect it. And the sergeant that was there at the time, he said to me, oh, can you just go out and get their name to make sure that we're giving the dog to the right people, which is fair enough, which they should have done that the state of. So I've walked outside the police station, these people are standing out there. They've taken all these photos of the dog. And they said, can you get in the photo? I went, sure. So I get in the photo and next minute it's blasted all over Facebook and all sorts of things. I'm getting messages saying, well done, good job. And the funny thing is, was the only thing that I had to do was to get their name. I had nothing to do in finding the dog. But everyone was thanking me and going, good job. And it wasn't me. So I had to tell people that it wasn't me. So... You know, don't take the credit that doesn't belong to you. If you do something in God's name, the credit belongs to God. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A modern-day person we can look at is Mother Teresa. She founded the Order of the Missionaries of Charity, which is a Roman Catholic congregation of women dedicated to helping the poor. She's considered to be the 20th century's greatest humanitarians and became a saint, um, Saint Teresa of Calcutta in 2016. Because of her work in helping the poorest of the poor, she was called the saint of the gutters. So she moved out from the convent and she moved into the neighbourhood of the poorest people within Calcutta. She would see Jesus in everyone she met. It didn't matter 
whether they were dying of AIDS or leprosy. She wanted them to be able to die in peace and with dignity. Mother Teresa said, love begins at home. Love your family and your neighbours. Share with the poor and the needy around you your smile, your word, your time, your belongings. See God's presence in the people you meet daily and treat them as children of God. Serve and love one person at a time. God does not want us to love crowds of people. That's an impossibility. He wants us to love him in every single person we meet and when we meet that person. Mother Teresa is a perfect example of someone who always considered others worth more, worth approaching and someone who lived as Jesus asked us to live in today's gospel. How would you like to be considered great? Would you like to be considered great like Genghis Khan and go down history books as a great warrior, a great lover, um, a great father of children, <laughs> 20,000 children, like Muhammad Ali calling yourself the greatest uh, and be just great in your own self-belief, that you will be great, submissive like Mother Teresa, modelling her life and that of Jesus, putting others before themselves and living out his teachings to be servant of all. Being considered great by others here on earth does not necessarily mean you're considered great by God. Your greatness on earth ceases when you do. Your greatness in God's eyes lasts for eternity. And I've missed my pages. Jesus leads by example. Um, and that tells us why the reason for coming here on earth was to teach us the example of being good Christians. So today, how do you want to be? Do you want to be great for your time on earth? Um, which isn't a bad thing, but that ends. But your time in heaven is for eternity and your reward in heaven will be great. Let's pray. Father God, today you've challenged us, I believe, to be um, great in your eyes, to reach out into the world of those people around us who are um, in need of a touch from you. Father, help us to open our eyes and see your vision of people coming to know you. People, um, especially during this pandemic, Lord, are struggling. They're struggling with uh, hopelessness, isolation. Uh, they have needs. And Father, we rely on you. And you are there for us. Help us to share your love with those around us. Help us to reach out. Help us to point all the glory to you. Father, humble us today 
Help us to be servants of others. And most of all, help us to be servants of you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.